Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 62 of the Potshot Podcast. Today we have a slightly different one. Rather than focusing on any games in particular, I think especially since we have this sort of two-week break between games, we've decided to do a set-piece pod, something that we've neglected a lot, I think. From all the things that we do well, it's one thing we definitely need to improve on, so no better way to do that than bring on Arsenal's own set-piece specialist, Within our sphere, Jake Fox, who I have with me on the pod today. How are you, Jake? I'm good, thank you. Um, thanks for having me on. I've been a massive fan of the pod for ages, as you probably know. So it's uh, yeah, it's a real, real privilege to be invited on to chat about free kicks and slip quarters and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, it's a real privilege for me just to be able to have this discussion with you. It's something I think just from reading your own articles, which we're definitely going to link in the description. Um, that I've become a lot more interested in in the last couple of games I've been watching out for and, and seeing them. And yeah, it's really sprung out to me. So I'm just here to learn today. But obviously, before we get into that, we have to do the pot shot question, which I forgot to do. So I'm going to steal it from, I don't even know who put it out there on Twitter. And as many friends of the pod will know, I am a sicko in terms of loving to rank things arbitrarily. So I think it's a good sort of thing to do is what I saw as a tweet kind of asking for people to rank Five footballers, those being Kamavinga, Bellingham, Pedri, Musiala, and Foden. I don't even know whether this is in terms of potential or in terms of currently. You can decide that, Jake, but I didn't prepare a part of that question. That was my failure, so I'm stealing from there, and I'm just going to put you on the spot. I have my order in my head, but yeah, what is oh, yours? That is vile. Okay. <laughs> you um, did ask to be put on the spot. Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> so... I'm just gonna be really biased. Phil Foden's dead last. Like I, I can't stand it. Um, <laughs> so we have what well, Pedri, Bellingham, Kavinga, Misiala. Um, I think I'd probably, unfortunately, do Pedri fourth, but there's a gap. There's a large gap between fourth and fifth. I really okay, like Pedri. Um, uh, Bellingham probably. I would do Musiala third, just because I don't watch too much of Bayern, so I'm a little bit biased. I'm even more biased, Bellingham second, but that's just because he's just chaos and a bit good vibes. And then I just adore Camavinga. Camavinga's number one for me. I love him. Interesting, interesting, interesting. That's very different to my order. Um, <laughs> oh, no. and, and also very, very openly don't watch enough of most of them anymore. Foden's the one I probably watch the most of as a Premier League and Ligue 1 guy. Um, I actually have, so your order is starting from the top. It's Kamavinga, Bellingham, Musiala, Pedri, and Foden. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll, I'll start from the bottom. I actually have Kamavinga in fifth oh, place. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> weirdly, though, weirdly, he's probably the one I'm most sentimentally attached to because I saw him kind of coming through at 16 at Akren and everything like that. Um, and he's also a weird one to compare. He's more of a 6'8", than the others are all sort of 8'10s. Mm-hmm. But I do have him fifth that said, they're all elite. Then I have Phil Foden, who, you know, bias-wise, I do want to put last. But it is, yeah, I do feel like <sighs> there's still a player there. He is also three years younger than the rest of them. Third, I have Bellingham, actually. And maybe maybe I'm still a little bit behind the curve on Bellingham, but I do have him third. Musiala second. And then for me, Pedri is just the yeah. gold standard. He's he's maybe got a good, got a good um, shot as my favorite player outside of outside of Arsenal and Lyon, uh, my other team. So so that's my order. So Pedri first, Musiala second, Bellingham third, 
Foden fourth, and then Kamavinga fifth. That said, they are all elites, and I'm yeah, very. I- don't want to cause fights. I think they're all very, very good players. Before people <laughs> attack me for calling Phil Foden the worst of the five. Don't worry, I don't think many City fans listen to those pods. So, <laughs> so we'll get away with it. You'll survive. Um, all right. Shall we move on to the pod then? What we're going to basically doing is definitely speaking about the set pieces, but I do want to avoid going into, because I think set pieces is actually quite a visual thing. And also because... All of the great detailed analysis put out in like 45-minute articles you can really find on Jake's medium. <laughs> We're not going to get too much into the technical stuff. We will touch on, I'm sure Jake will touch on some of the, the key sort of things that we do. But what I'm interested to do with this part is to link it into how set pieces, their importance, I think more generally within football today, and, being, and how they're used by top-end teams now, rather than just to survive relegation, the team's aiming to find that extra margin to win, you know, those marginal gains to win the league, right? And then also when we look at Arsenal more specifically, how does it link into our game model, particularly what we do in possession and what we're good at in possession, how what we're good at in possession leads to what we do with our set pieces, that sort of synergy between those two. And then I think also stuff as we'll get to the end of the pod, maybe how that impacts recruitment or you know the teams that Arteta picks and whether you know, there's sort of a zero-sum relationship between our in-possession stuff and our set-piece stuff, because often we've spoken about that sort of relationship between out-of-possession and in-possession, but I think there's something to look at. Another phase of the game really is the set-piece stuff. So yeah, why do you think that set-pieces have become so much more important in the modern game? And and as I said earlier, not only just, you know, among those teams wanting to survive relegation, but really amongst like Arsenal's focus, Liverpool's focus we've seen in recent seasons. So I think a lot of it will come down to kind of like, like you said, these kind of these small margins of victory and the, uh, there's the kind of the in-game tactics in terms of like out of possession structures or just pressing stuff is becoming more and more elite and you've got a lot more kind of physical and you're getting these kind of player managers like Guardiola and Klopp who are kind of buying into getting the big boys in their squad and because it's quite difficult, I guess, in some ways to have a possession structure that can that can reliably break down a team now that out of possession stuff is becoming more and more stodgy, defending is becoming a bit better. To have a kind of an extra way, I think, to get yourself over the line and just to, to batter a team down is so valuable. I think it kind of like Arteta's always talked about like trying to dominate games rather than just like control them or whatever. And I think having a threat from a set piece which like a lot of teams will probably see as like a bit of a rest especially for like for for lower down teams if you get a court if the old arsenal say had got a corner against like modern day luton they go that's fine we'll be all right this antique is all the corners going into the head of our front post player we don't really need to worry whereas now there's not that kind of like mental relaxation along with the physical relaxation that comes from the kind of game stopping a little bit. Whereas now they've kind of got to be like locked in, clocked on. And if you have a team that's like City, which is just pressing relentlessly, winning the ball relentlessly, having the ball relentlessly, making you think all the time, and you don't afford them those gaps, apart from if they have, if they manage to win a free kick or something, then um, you just batter a team down and it becomes a lot bigger of a challenge to beat these bigger teams 
rather than just kind of the old standard way, which was sit deep, try and get a corner, score it. Whereas now you've kind of had your offensive corners taken away. You've had your defensive um, reliability of the corners taken away as well. I don't know, like, that's what I think of anyway. I don't know what you see from someone who's a bit more kind of like in possession focused, I guess, um, or like in play focused. I mean, I think, I think I agree with a lot of that, to be honest. And it's also, as you spoke about earlier, like less goals are actually being scored nowadays. And I think it was always the sort of potential gain that was kind of just ignored. And as the game itself has become more tactical, I think it maybe started with the in-possession stuff, particularly among the, the better teams. And, and, and earlier, it, it was um, maybe earlier focused on by the teams trying to survive relegation that thought, okay, this is, we can't really match this team in possession, but we can just by pure organization and, you know, ingenuity, maybe at set pieces, we can find that advantage. I think as the game has become more and more in just terms of A, being tactical, which comes from looking for all of these games, but also, yeah, that aspect of looking for these games. I think it just, it's a natural progression, right? Especially when you're, when you're at this point now where you're playing teams, at least for Arsenal, when you're playing teams, and I'm not necessarily saying that the focus on set pieces, because we'll speak later about whether it impacts or is at the behest of what we do, um, of how effective we are in other aspects of the game. But I think it is one of these things where you think, if I need to beat City, I need to be absolutely like 99% at least at everything, just to find those those gaps to beat ultimately what I would say is superior quality in terms of what City can bring in and, 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 and a genius in Pep, right? So I think it, it does make sense. And we kind of saw this when it really first came. And I have to say, like set pieces is something that I've really only started focusing on more in the last year. It's always something where my mind switched off a bit at. Um, but yeah, it first kind of came up like, wow, that's really interesting is when I think Liverpool kind of spoke about that set, that throw-in coach that they had. Like, okay, there are really gains there that that these teams are trying to make. And I think, yeah, you see that a lot now in terms of what we're doing. And it, and it does kind of fall, you know, you don't really notice how many goals actually come from set pieces. Not necessarily directly like corner onto their head into the goal, but from a corner routine before there's a turnover or something like that, ultimately leading to a goal. Or as as you said, I really enjoyed your, th- your article about our throw-ins and all the different dynamics that you can kind of achieve with what you do with those, with those, um, sort of routines right and and yeah i was reading a barcelona sort of research thing speaking about generally it's about 30 to 35 percent of goals scored now come from one way or another from a set piece that number is skewed quite a lot by penalties which they can which they include but it's still penalties come for about half so if you look at that that's still about what we're getting almost 20 percent coming from set pieces so it's it's a big it's a big margin to get but yeah should we actually get into some of the set pieces that we're going to focus on ourselves. So I think today we're going to work on look at attacking corners, attacking free kicks, attacking throw-ins, and then defending corners. Maybe we'll start a bit more generally about the nature of these routines in general before we look at us more, more specifically. So yeah, attacking corners. Yeah, so there are kind of bread and butter in terms of set pieces. I think they're quite, as as just in a general set piece, uh, way to look at them they're quite a nice visual representation of an attack working out and gaining a lot of territory because in terms of like in possession you'll have maybe defenders sitting above the halfway line and you can see that yeah you have you know to quote the kind of online 
movement at the moment of field tilt we have a lot of field tilt but you get a corner and all of a sudden there's quite a crowd reaction you get a very visual representation of all of your good header tall boys in the middle and all of their defenders crammed within about 20 yards of their box and that seems like a very kind of nice representation of this is a very dangerous opportunity now and this is what they've kind of they've allowed to you and while it's not in play it's not dynamic you now have a lot of good players that you can pump the ball onto their heads and have a really good chance of scoring. And I think that's a really kind of nice, um, yeah, visual cue that your team's doing well. So like whilst a lot, uh, a lot of corners might not lead to anything. If you get a lot of corners, it probably means you have a lot of territory and it kind of like spirals back through, um, which is always really nice. And it does help with now as well. Like we are just talking about a lot of really good teams are really good at corners. So um, yeah, you've got that as well. Yeah, just before we even get into what we do specifically, I think it's just what you're speaking about in terms of field help, in terms of territory, and in terms of, you know, good teams being good at corners. It's because it's something that just gets generated a lot when you have those fundamentals, right? And it's something I find really interesting in looking at sort of what we do want to focus on as Arsenal's game model. How much do you think Arteta wants us, not just, you know, I think we can even look back to Wenger trying to, you know, walk it into the net, create the perfect goal, which means generally finding like a man almost uncontested in the box and just passing it into the net. Arteta is far more willing to have our players sort of get into good positions. Don't get me wrong. We're not shooting from 30 yards into good positions where we could score from, but getting that shot off. And if it's not going into the net or, you know, forcing a save, often it's actually leading to bouncing off the player and going for a corner. I think we get a lot of corners that way. Do you think that that's something that really fits into, just before we even look at the set pieces itself, Arteta is very willing to do because we're good at corners? I I think I'd go for yes. I think it's, it's yeah, it's not like a, a primary strategy for just, just to get corners because mm. we have obviously very good attackers and very good wingers especially. I think you can probably see that in the the way our wingers are so and wingers and probably Erdogan as well are so confident to dribble on the byline i think that's something you can really notice especially like martinelli and saka and Erdogan down the right will just hug that touchline because they know that realistically the defender's gonna have to make a really good tackle to stop it either being a goal scoring chance in open play or a really good chance from us from set play and um so you have that side as well. And I think you can see from this season, Rice is taking quite a few shots that are like drilled along the ground towards bodies. And why he's not scored any yet. I think he's got close maybe once against Forest, I think, in like the first game. But in terms of like generating these kind of set plays, I think, yeah, Arteta's a bit more open, maybe to let Rice do it than perhaps we were to let Partey do it because Partey tends to hoof the ball quite high. <laughs> um, whereas Rice skids it along the ground, you're much more likely to get a defender's like trailing ankle or something like that. So I think, yeah, there's these kind of like little kind of minute specifics in what we're doing and how we're approaching certain plays that do, I think, show that our test is a bit more keen to let us build these up. Um, especially, I think, where we've struggled a bit more in open play this year. I think we're kind of a bit more okay to let these um, these set plays take over a little bit more, I think. Yeah, I think it also helps us kind of control the tempo of the game as well, which is a, which is a big aspect of football. But yeah, as you said, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, Saka's never shooting to get the corner, but it is a nice sort of backup plan. And what it does as well is I think it's also part of, secondarily, our transition control. Just because if the ball is going out for a corner, 
or even a goal kick, it does allow us to kind of, um, yeah, reorganize ourselves and not be caught out defensively. So when we kind of do get into these things, especially last season, I called that sort of pressure cooker scenario. I think even now by maybe looking, and it was the case still last season, but I think it's even more now looking less to kind of create the perfect opportunity and just make sure you get the shot and you're prepared in one way or another for the next phase of play. And often this is a corner or a goal or a goal going out. It's just another way in which it, it serves our defensive model. But yeah, before before we, you know, get too carried away there, I do want to know what do you think makes us specifically so good at corners? Because you've spoken about us being good at corners. Yeah, so one reason is that um, our wingers are pretty good. Saka especially is very good at delivering which just is naturally just a great value to have. So like City have De Bruyne, uh, Liverpool have Trent, obviously, and they had Robertson. Um, and just having those people who have like reliably good kind of uh, deliveries in terms of areas really makes it a pain for defenders and goalkeepers especially to deal with. And so that kind of sets a baseline in terms of the quality of each corner and the, the value of each corner. Um, and then secondly, I'll probably just say that we just have a lot of big boys now. <laughs> we have what, like <laughs> Declan Rice, Saliba, who like with Saliba, I, he is massive and he is very good at jumping directly up, I've noticed, but I don't think he's that good at heading. But it doesn't particularly matter when you're like six foot four and really fast because that six foot four really fast guy charging towards your front post with a Saka or Martinelli whip coming towards them, a defender's probably going to shit themselves a bit. Um, so you have, yeah, Gabriel, Declan Rice, Saliba. Um, Jesus is surprisingly good at jumping in the air as well. Um, I think you have having that kind of solid core of six footers plus who are all very keen to try and like jump and launch themselves at balls in the air really makes it a pain to defend because they're all um good jewelers as well they're all good strong runners good strong uh jewelers and that yeah it will just those kind of things add up in terms of um meaning that our, our routines don't have to be as kind of ingenious as they probably were before. So I was watching kind of our old corners in like 21-22 and last season. And of course there was the goal at the start of last season against Palace, where we do a really long corner and it goes all the way to Zinchenko at the far post. Zinchenko heads it back across to Martinelli. And we oh, tap this was it our in. first, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. From and last so that's season. like a really like nice visual going. You go, oh cool, Arsenal are really good corners. But we now don't really have to be that ingenious to score. Because we have them, and of course, how they get Kai Havertz, he's six foot five and notorious for like winning flick ons and stuff like that. And so, we don't have to have that ingenuity anymore because we have these really good aerial presence um, that kind of just allows us to to win a lot if we if we get the delivery right. I think, I don't know if you've um, noticed anything differently in terms of when you've been watching it. I have to say, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I haven't been nearly as like observant as you until recently, but, but that's interesting to me that you speak about how we used to be almost more intricate with what we did to try and kind of find that opening to score from and that now we don't do it. And you speak about like the fact that we don't need to, because we can, you know, just kind of almost brute force it 
through mm-hmm. like good routine and big guys and get it in right but I'm, I'm interested why would we stop doing the more intricate stuff i wonder if it if it has something to do with there's like a an extra element of risk that maybe arteta doesn't even want to to use because this this was still your ver right it's not like we've suddenly we've lost his sort of ingenuity in these situations um yeah, so I wonder if, if that has something to do with, like, from a defensive standpoint, like, that extra interest, because he does lead to, does um leave us open to to things going wrong or players being in the wrong positions for preventing any sort of transition threats. I, I think it is probably likely that, because a lot of the um, the way that we would attack relied on kind of a few touches to be able to score or they um we, we did do some before i think there was a goal at leicester uh, a few years ago um where gabrielle flicks it on at the front post um so there is some kind of standard in terms of just like us sticking to um basic scenarios when we could before but yeah we used to have uh, i think we used to have zinchenko in the box a lot more as well so we had people who had like quite good technical skill i guess with terms of just like pass placement whereas now i don't think we have in that sort of um care i suppose we have a lot of brutes which is fine uh but we don't particularly i guess have the uh the ability to kind of put it on a plate from like a second pass that we perhaps used to. I think there is a there is an opportunity for us to start doing the kind of the famous uh, Gianni Vio routine at Spurs, where someone flicks it on at the front post to someone moving at the back post. But again, I think we don't particularly seem to like doing these secondary touches anymore. Um, I uh, yeah, I'd guess it's because it kind of introduces the second layer of um, defenders being able to get it out and get it clear and reset. Whereas this means that even if it goes even if we miss the chance all we've lost really is a goal kick which still allows us the territory we don't have to kind of go all the way back to cover a transition whereas that second pass or a second header or something in the box means that they can transition they can come back come back on us and we often leave Zinchenko as like our furthest back defender Um, we left Rice back against Liverpool which I think like Gary Neville noted and which I think showed that we were quite scared of Liverpool's threat a lot more in that game, and probably rightly so because they nearly scored from one. Um, <laughs> but, imagine um, Zinchenko in that moment. Oh, I mean, I know he's kind of the reason we lost it in the yeah, first yeah. place, but imagine him trying to push oh back. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, I we I think because of us not having that kind of that sealant at the back now, in terms of a transition protector. Um, we can't really afford to risk introducing another element of chaos because our like our edge players from a side will be a winger, Erdegaard, and then Zinchenko all the way back in the zone about like 40 yards up the pitch. And so if you leave a lot of probably very fast attackers, especially in the Prem, a lot of space to run at with just Zinchenko there, who's not particularly the, the most gifted in terms of 1v1, let alone 2 and uh, 3v1 defending. He's no Van Dijk. Um, yeah, if you leave him with that, he's not going to have the great time. So that's, yeah, I'd probably say it's chaos reduction. Interesting. Um, just on, just on another note, um, we've spoken a lot about sort of flick-ons and there was a question posed to us. I think Manus, not even friend of the pod, part of the pod, also touched on it, but I'm going to take this from Holistic Football. He said, not directly related, but I'll push my luck. What does he think about the recent, he being you, Jake, what does Jake think about the recent trend of 
first post flicked to second post, do you see it staying or popularizing further? And what set piece trends do you see making a rise in the near future? Now, I know that's a lot, <laughs> a big question to put to you. As, as an Arsenal expert, I think it's also hard to kind of see maybe around. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this and, and speculation there. Yeah, so I've done some, some watching around the league um, because I noted that Bournemouth did this the other week as well and they've been doing quite a few of these recently. Um, I think it's popular because it's seemingly from like what I've been watching, a lot of set-piece coaches love the front post just because it's quite good to, I guess, control the scenario. If you lose the front post, it's not particularly lost because they're just going to probably head it like straight out towards the corner taker or something like that. Whereas if you lose, if you try and aim for longer corners and the goalkeeper comes out and claims it or a defender clears it, all of a sudden it's a completely different scenario. Um, and you've kind of, you've, you've not only kind of lost the territory, you've also probably likely lost a counterattack. So I think that's probably why they're coming around in terms of their popularizing further. I'm, I'm not, too sure they'll translate across because Everton, for example, they're really good at set pieces as they probably should be. They're a Sean Dice team. Um, but they pretty much exclusively go far post. They don't really bother with the front post that often. So I think it I think it'll probably just be a bit more kind of cyclical in that a lot of teams will think that a front post flick on will come on. So I think I, I've talked about this in kind of the, the piece I wrote about our corners where where we do a corner tactic so often, team defensive opposition team defensive structure will kind of cater to what we're doing and they'll kind of freak themselves out a bit. And so they'll see that we're going for front post quite a lot. And so they'll, they'll have put a bundle there. Exactly. Yeah. They'll put a load of players in front post. And then you get chances like Kai Havertz versus Sevilla, where he's like empty at the back post and scuffed it off the top of his head and missed. Oh, but we don't oh, talk about that. Was this not also Gabby J versus yeah, exactly. was yeah, it Brighton? Yeah. Brighton, yeah. So they put themselves, because we did, first off, we had like four corners front post and Rice won, I think, three of them. And so they kind of go, oh, we're losing a lot of the ball front post here. We need to get... So they clumped all their players at the front post. They left Gary J back post and they um, they get themselves in a position where like, oh, we have to now win this front post header because we're losing it every time. We're giving up a good chance. And then they end up flicking it on for us. And so, yeah, I think it will probably be a bit cyclical in that sense because you get, yeah, teams psyching themselves out and going, I have to stop this set piece, this this flick on that they're really good at. And all of a sudden they'll boot it over them because the goalkeeper's not expecting it because the goalkeeper's prepared to kind of come and click, click, uh, flicks. The defenders aren't expecting it because they're like congregating at the front and waiting for men to rush them from behind and flick it on. And all of a sudden you get someone back post just to nod it in. And so that's probably what I'd guess. But equally, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you probably wouldn't put your money but do you have an idea of why Everton seem to go exclusively back post that's interesting to me um I think it's partially because they've got Dwight McNeil who's really really good at those deliveries um is kind of would this be like in swingers from the yes he does in swings yeah. all the way really deep it's usually his side okay. that they score from and they go like they curve like out and round the six yard essentially and then like dime out of the back end of the six yard box and they usually get really easy headers there. Um, and they will 
probably put like one or two players on the goalkeeper as well, which just stops that claim problem. Yeah, which I was talking about. So yeah, I th- I think it's partly kind of uh, deterministic in terms of the taker. So Liverpool have a very typical structure because they have Trent, and you don't really want to take Trent off a certain corner. So you go, you do your thing, and we'll sort everything else out. Um, and so Dwight McNeil has this really good delivery, so using it really well. Um, but they're also yeah quite. A, a cool physical team in terms of just like they have James Tarkovsky who's really good at blocking and stuff like that and they can just sit on a goalkeeper and really ruin his day and all of a sudden you get (laughs) three or four you know Dominic Calvert-Lewins at the back post just crashing and heading it in okay perfect last question because I know we do probably need to move on because there's still three other types of routines or scenarios that we need to address but I wanted to one one of the sort of routines that really interests me, and I, and you spoke about it in your article as well, is when teams and Arsenal as well play short from a corner. And and one of the I saw an article, not an article, a video the other day by Luke Williams speaking about why they go short a lot and how it kind of suits their their team specifically. And that you know a lot of their attacks, it doesn't look as exciting, and people don't think it comes from a corner because it's not corner takeout onto the head of the target and then either into the nets or saved off target, whatever. It still looks like an action has happened, right? It's sort of like intricate playing around. You've kind of got that territory nicely already from that set piece scenario, you know, passing out from the corner, but it actually leads to more shots on target, he said, than anyone else in the league from their corner situations. So I'm just interested in your thoughts on when we go short and, and yeah, what you think of our, our short corner routines and, and maybe the, the intentions thereof. Mm-hmm. So I I love short corners. Um, they're like my favourite. I just I think we should <laughs> we should use them more. To be honest, it's as much as like a good in swinger, a hearty in swinger is really lovely to a fan and to get a nice crashing header. Which interestingly we don't really do anymore. We don't particularly do crashing headers from Gabriel anymore, which is a bit of a shame. But um, yeah, so our short corners. My favourite goal we've scored in the last few years, weirdly, is Nketiah's first goal in Man United. And I talk about this in my like article about it, in that we use our short corners to kind of um, ensure the territory. So we talk about the kind of the, the, the chaos introduced of like not doing these kind of like really intricate moves in the box before. And the short corner allows us to kind of create these kind of inorganic situations of territory that we can then really use especially last season when we were really good at kind of moving the ball quick we seemed to have quite a lot of patterns and rhythm set in and it was really nice and so that in goal we have like a lot of rotations on the left hand side ends up with Shaq crossing it in to Nketiah for a post and so yeah the short corner is a, a good way of especially when a team does like a really foul mid block if we break through <laughs> it once we get a corner and then an easy thing to do would be like, oh, fine, we got through the corner. Let's just lump it in and give it to one of the big lads and we'll just put it, we'll try and get it in. But doing the short corner means we don't really have to go, unless they do a really good kind of outward pressing scheme, I guess, they don't really uh, get a chance to clear us out of this area. We're now kind of entrenched in, in behind the yeah. lines. Yeah. So I really like that. I think there's an interesting thing that we're doing recently, but... I think it's kind of limited by the fact that opposition teams are going to be quite hot to it. So we only really do it once a game, which is a bit annoying for a team that gets about eight, nine corners a game. But um, we will do one where it will go short from Erdegaard and Saka. Erdegaard will usually like pick the ball up by starting to dribble as well, which is an interesting thing. I don't, I'm not too sure why we do this. I think it's to kind of like 
essentially kind of replicate it being open play and we don't have this like weird pass where they have to turn turn and stuff like that but then we'll go from Erdegaard to usually it's from Saka's side and it will go to Zinchenko and then Zinchenko would do this half space cross into all of our big lads which we obviously normally wouldn't get because we have Martinelli and Gabriel Jesus and maybe Kai Havertz but we never seem to do it with Kai in the box anyway um, and so yeah we'll start doing this really nice pattern we should have probably scored two or three from this the most recent one I can remember was there was a Ben White flicked head on against West Ham where we play it out and Zinchenko whips it in really beautifully and then Ben White gets a nice flick and goes fast far post but that's my kind of like a nice pattern for us that I don't think we see in open play for some reason um, maybe because of the movements, maybe because Saka gets like four men on him at once, uh, maybe because Ben White's like, physically cooked and his hamstrings in half or something. Um, <laughs> and his hairline's going, it's, yeah, it's all he's going not, here. He's not well, he's not well. <laughs> the aura's um, gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, so that, I quite like the short corners because they can offer, like I said, these kind of inorganic um opportunities for us to do kind of these rehearsed movements that especially this season we've not particularly had the chance to do but also just just on on and correct me if i'm wrong but it's also just kind of like unsettles maybe the defending pods in that moment where it goes short suddenly they're not in that sort of mindset of like the ball's going to come and need to win this you kind of spoke about um Eddie's first goal versus Man United, that was when he kind of came came across the back of Aaron Wan-Bissaka, right? Is it maybe not just that moment where it goes short, suddenly they switch off to a ball immediately coming in, and then when it kind of comes in shortly after that, everything's a bit more disrupted. Do you think that's also kind of one of the bigger advantages? That's definitely it, I think. Because, yeah, there's... Um, so Luke Williams obviously talked about it in terms of just, like, not giving a defence a rest. And it's because, like I said earlier, these these set pieces offered, like, a nice rest point for defenders because it's bread and butter, ball in the air, get up, get your head in it, get it gone, especially at lower levels. Um, but here they kind of now... Like, I think you can probably see it best in Trossard's goal against Everton where he like he skips through about like four defenders like pretty much genuinely skipping like through this very kind of like set up defensive block of all these big Everton guys and Trossard skips through and goes short through the two of them and stuff like that and we kind of start playing around with them and these Everton defenders look really unhappy that this opportunity (laughs) that they're very you know they're very sure that they're going to deal with all of a sudden little Leo Trossard is coming through and just ruining their day by having to make them think about where they're standing and think about who's coming out. And so you can, if you watch our, the back posts on our short corners, we move around in terms of the lines we set up in like loads and it must just be held to defend. I think there's one against Chelsea I have in the article where like we go from like a flat line of like the Conga line, I think that the, uh, the England fans probably always talked about. We had like, Saliba, Gabriel, Declan Rice, someone else. And they all morph around according to where the passer is and when the pass happens. It just must be like horrible to defend. So I, I don't know why we don't use them more. I think it's because they're quite easily blocked out and they really do give an opportunity for transitions and stuff like that. But yeah, I that's my, my pitch for why people should love short corners. Maybe, maybe Artez is just dic- addicted to duels and in any case he can get them, he'll, he'll go for them. But I would love to literally speak about attacking corners far more. I have lots of questions, but we do have to move on. So attacking free kicks, there's less to say, at least from in terms of what I've observed. But one of the things I know you've spoken about, we've spoken about, is that in terms of our attacking free kicks, we actually get far 
fewer free kicks in the central areas. And when, when when was the last time we scored? You said it was Burnley away in 2021. We I actually remember that one. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was like the second week of the season. I think it was might have been his first Odegaard's first goal of that season. Yeah, it was after after we had the like horrendous run. I think at the start in April, all the solar, and then we went to Burnley, oh, and I think all the fans were quite yes. miserable. And then Never mind the beginning scored. of the year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But yeah, what do you make of I guess free kick scenarios in general? How we're different to other teams and and what we do specifically. So, unlike a lot of kind of these top teams, like especially City, we yeah we don't get really any kind of shooting range free kicks. I think we've had three this year, and we've butchered at least one of them, um, which was so we've had Rice versus Aston Villa, which we did some kind of like knockoff pass, and Rice just drills it at Emi Martinez. It was pretty crap. We had Erdgaard uh, had a shot last game against Fulham. I think that's the last one we've had like a proper, just like no layoff shot in ages, probably since last season. And I can't particularly remember us doing it last season either. And then there was the ridiculously bad Trossard thing against West Ham, where we tried to do like three extra touches and then Trossard. We had like a really good position uh, and then Trossard just ran into the wall and I got really uh, angry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, we, we tend to win them in the channels. Um, so you think like Gabriel's goal against Liverpool. We had uh, a free kick that we won against United really early on. But it tends to just be the wingers that pick them up. Um, and whereas City, Julian Alvarez has this season taken like, I think, a thousand more shots, a thousand percent more shots from free kicks or something at the, well, when I checked last. I think he's had 12 shots from free kicks alone um and they're all from like quite good shooting areas i think a lot of that's coming from doku just winning and just being just like a pest and i think that's what we've we're probably missing a lot where martinelli's being a bit more touchliney and we're not having the kind of same rotations that we had last year is that you look and i think a lot of it's kind of in playing more of the season and jesus as well um, and jesus being a bit unfit we kind of lose that chaos in the middle that organized chaos i guess in the middle that really unsettles the defender and lets us win these central free kicks and these opportunities so we're quite good at the 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 wider ones um so erdegaard's quite good at kind of like whipping it quite nicely on the near post but they're they're really kind of they're, they're almost seems a bit of a a testing ground for nico yoba to, to stop pissing around with stuff I think compared to corners where it's a bit more kind of like tried and tested, we've got kind of a good baseline in terms of at least creating a, a couple of good chances a game, whereas free kicks is a bit more kind of like freewheeling. Um, I don't know in terms of whether you think it's a result of us not winning or becoming more dual focused that we're losing central free kicks. Cause I've only really kind of thought about this in term, in contrast to city, but do you, do you worry that, with like Havertz being a bit of a dual monster and stuff like that, and along with this kind of like static front line with Inketia and um, and Martinelli and Saka being a bit more touchliney, is that a reason that you, th- you could see for us not winning central free kicks, or is this I don't know, is it a bit more kind of complicated? I just want to clarify in terms of winning central free kicks you mean like the player getting fouled drawing the foul getting a free kick from that situation rather than like connecting from the free kick into our targets whether that be shooting on goal or playing to yeah yeah so we yeah yeah so i think 
for me, if you look at it from a, like this just comes from in possession, right? The one thing about free kicks that's different, I think more so than any others, is it's just the area will just change in terms of where you're taking your free kicks from, right? I mean, we get free kicks deeper, deeper in the halves and then they just passes. They happen all over the pitch. But I mean, my whole thing with us this season is that we've been struggling to access and progress centrally. So therefore, we've been struggling to access zone 14, that sort of whole you know, they call it in the hole just before the goal, right? Um, we sort of only really get central as we get into the box, if we manage to connect passes there. My impression is just following on from what we do in possession is I don't think it is strictly a tactical decision to not progress through the middle. I think it's because we struggle to do so with how we build. And I think an outcome of that is that we just don't manage to get... Into, into zone 14 to get fouled in zone 14, right? I think Gabby J is a good example of, of someone who's probably picking up a lot of fouls for us in that area. I think Odegaard can be a little bit easily pushed off the ball when he is kind of caught in, in a way that he isn't necessarily, you don't need to foul him to dispossess him. And then Havertz, I don't know, just getting on the ball. It, it's kind of, you know, hard to connect with him, hard for us to, you know, use him to kind of drive forward and connect and obviously he'll take up space from guys like Martinelli coming more central. Um so I I I don't see it as a tactical thing and I think it's it's great to kind of compare this with City who are just dominating zone 14 every game when they want to, you know what I mean? They can always feed the ball into those areas which is what makes them so difficult. I think I think this is something that kind of does expose us like a downside of our game because also I think we have pretty decent free kick takers. I don't think we have among the best but Uruguay has scored a couple. I think he's pretty decent. So I don't think it's something like anything, at least to my eye, and, and really thinking it from it more from before the foul, because you can't just decide like, okay, I'm going to take a free kick from here. I got the ball here. You know what? I, you can almost do that a little bit more with corners. Shooting, okay, I know where I'm going to take the corner from. So that would be my sort of impression is that it is, it's a, you know, another problem with us not managing to get into those central areas in front of goal in the first place that now we can't even have sort of, would you say higher value free kicks from those areas? I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm putting you on the spot a bit in terms of like the percentages, but I would say, I would imagine that the central free kicks, you get a, you derive more goals from then from those sort of wider ones in general. Yeah. I th- in general, definitely. I think for us, it probably could be the other way around. Um, mm. Because, because- of our big guys yeah because of our big guys especially gabriel who's just as you saw it's liverpool like if he's managing yeah. to kind of like block off canate and then win a header from like 10 yards out and put it straight past allison i don't particularly know what else he can't do from a set piece i think mm-hmm. um i think we're we're kind of criminally underutilizing him a bit in that kind of those positions um but we don't really have a delivery from the right sorted yet. I think a lot of that works when it comes from Erdegaard's side and it kind of curls really nicely because he's got those those crosses in and we saw against um, Luton, right? Uh, but from the right-hand side, we're probably not as good. So, yeah, I think I'll probably, if, in terms of you had to rank them, I guess, going back to kind of ranking again. Um, <laughs> My favourite thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So we're probably going, like our left-hand, like half-space, Cross uh, free kicks really valuable for us. 
then are probably like a center of shooting free kicks, maybe less so now that we haven't got Xhaka as an option as well. And then our right-hand side free kicks are just kind of a bit of a waste at this point. But, but equally, like, refs don't seem to count fouls against Saka anymore, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, unfortunately so. All right, anything more on attacking free kicks or shall we move on? Uh, no, I think we're we're fairly easy to talk about free kicks. We don't really get anything interesting. Conclusion here is they're more boring in general until until Fabio Vieira finds one in the far oh, yes, top please. left corner. Still waiting for that moment. But yes, we'll be with you guys after the break where we will touch on attacking throw-ins, defending corners, and whatever comes from that discussion. And we're back, and we're just about halfway through the different routines or scenarios we're looking at. So yeah. Jake, the next one is attacking throw-ins. I really enjoyed your article on this. I think it was probably my favorite of the different articles that you've written so far, the three set-piece ones you've written so far. Um, I will say, I think it's because we're speaking about like your mind sort of switching off for set-pieces, but I still think for free kicks and quality, they're trying to see what's going to happen. For throw-ins, a lot of the time, I think I just genuinely do switch off and I'm just waiting to see who it's passed to. And I don't really look beyond that. I mean, I've noticed Odegaard's movements and stuff like that. And you kind of go, huh, something's happening there, but but never really looked into it to the level that you did. But I think before we get into um, speaking about what we do specifically and, and how it sort of fits into our game model, I, I've since done a bit more research uh, and thinking about Thrones in general. And one of the interesting things that's kind of come up is especially as the game has become more advanced, where, you know, everything we've been speaking about, that's sort of a theme of this of this episode, is that everything's sort of like a marginal gain to capitalize on, right? It's that... With these strategic and tactical advancements, it's almost a throw-in is now almost as much an opportunity for the opposition to capitalize on as it is for the the team actually throwing the ball in. And part of the reason why is because you almost take the the person throwing in, we'll call him the throw-inner, he's almost out of the game for a moment. You know, it's not a working set of feet. So for for a short moment, excluding the goalkeepers, it's, it's 10v9. And it's it's a very good way with with everyone kind of bunched up as well, and you know the potential to switch quickly. So yeah, I'm just interested in what you kind of have noticed and what do you think about throw-ins in general. Yeah, I think uh, that's probably the the main point about throw-ins is they they are just like a massive pain in the ass to get. To be honest, is a bit of kind of exasperation if an attack ends in a throw-in rather than anything else. Just because it, yeah, it takes a player out of the game, it bunches you all very close, and it requires a real kind of like technical mastery to be able to get out of it with any sort of um, benefit, rather than just being in the same position you were, but in a slightly worse position offensively because there's more defenders right in front of you. Um, I think it's probably why Wenger's a massive proponent for bidding them off and wants the kick in. I think. <laughs> Um, because it's just like you've you've done all this work to gain territory up the field, and you probably had a winger do something skillfully against the fullback, and then they've boosted out for throw in, and all of that's gone. And now you have you your reward for all of that good hard work, a good attacking work, is that you have one less player on the pitch, and you have to do some ridiculous, very specific arm movements with the ball above your head and all that. And it's it feels quite outdated at this point. Um, so I can get why. But yeah, in general, they are a, just a negative. And I think it's it's interesting that there's been such a movement recently with like Brentford and Liverpool specifically getting the, the throwing coaches um, to kind of try and transform this 
really annoying aspects and turn it into a positive and try and make it kind of part of a kind of cohesive game model. I think that's really interesting. I don't know how um, many teams are doing that because they're kind of like the, the most famous two. I wouldn't guess too many are doing it because I don't think you have the luxury to dedicate some part of your training to attacking throw-ins. But um, yeah, I think that's that's probably my main interest in the throw-ins is that um, the, the, t- the movement now of trying to turn this this fairly conclusive net negative unless you've got an opportunity to launch it in the box and try and turn that into a, a, a nice little positive. But it does sound like you have, uh, from at least my reading of your article, that he seems to put, there is a lot of specific stuff we do that actually changes, of course, depending on the personnel that we have those sort of pods on the right and the left-hand side. Can you talk us through what we do? And and does any of it stand out as particularly unique to you? Uh, well, a lot of our, kind of our throwing setups are quite personnel-specific. So on the left-hand side... Um, because you have Zinchenko, who's this kind of, um, to steal a phrase from Billy Carpenter, like a unicorn, essentially, in terms of his first touch and technical ability from those positions, he can do these kind of, these very short throw-ins, these tiny ones, to get them immediately back to him, and he'll have this kind of immaculate first touch and allow us to, to reset. So usually with Zinchenko, he'll throw it to probably like Declan Rice, who's managed to like literally probably shove his marker, he'll get a little <laughs> knockback, and then Zinchenko will play it back through to um, the gap that's opened up, usually to Gabriel. Um, or Saliba sometimes and like that gap will usually be opened up thanks to someone like Erdegaard who's just like spatially just in different level to everyone else who completely understands how to open up lanes and stuff like that so he's probably Zinchenko's favorite player in the world (laughs) Um, so that's our left hand side is that we'll do these kind of little one two bang out and then we reset and we rebuild which takes it from this really clumped position on the corner and then all of a sudden we have quite a lot of room and to carry and reset, which is quite nice. Um, we do a little bit different with Kivio when he's there. Kivio's a bit more of a um, a bulky boy than Zinchenko. I don't think they'll mind me saying that. Uh, <laughs> and he, he can just launch it. I think we saw one against Liverpool. Uh, and he can just like, he can get a good distance, a good height, a good pace to it. So he'll just go a bit longer. That's pretty much all he can do. We have a little bit of a a, a set uh, a setup in terms of our left hand side, but I probably won't go into that because that's a lot of like explaining the space uh, with the throw-ins. But that's, that's quite an interesting one in terms of how we protect the thrower in that, which is quite interesting. On the right hand side, the main one that people will have noticed is that Ben White usually takes probably about half an hour to take a throw-in, and it's it's wild to me that he I think he's only been booked once for it which was against Brentford, I think, maybe. And even that was in the Bobbins. doesn't really count. Um, And he will, because White's throws are a lot flatter, he doesn't really get the height and pace. And if he does go higher, they don't really go anywhere. They tend to get snuffed out quite easily. And so I think we've kind of recognised that. And so a lot of it will be Ben White waiting for Erdegaard to come sweep through from the opposition's goal side, drag a marker with him, and then Ben White can get a flat throw down the line to Saka and let him build out, which I think is a nice little like personnel-specific touch that stops it going from like a, a negative, which it probably would be in a situation of having a, a fullback who can't really throw it that far. And we now have a position where Saka can receive quite nicely and is really strong as well, so he can hold up a marker quite well and we can build again from there. And then that 
we'll kind of move up into the final third where that movement again, that Saka Erdogan relationship, you'll probably see it a couple of times a game, if not more. Um, where Saka will stay close, Erdegaard will swoop through from the goal. This is in like the final third on the right-hand side. And then Erdegaard will come short, not ask the ball, doesn't care about it, go all the way round to their goal line and then run along the goal line. And Ben White will throw it over Saka and his market into Erdegaard. And then we usually get like a really good chance from that, or at least an opposite, uh, a chance of a really good chance, which feels like nothing, but it is something. X-threat nerds will go absolutely mental <laughs> for that chance. So that's that's the, the really nice play, um, which uses Saka's ability to kind of just like attract defenders to him. Defenders not wanting to get sucked too far in on a throw in. And the fact that Odegaard has a really good understanding, again, of space, timing, really good first touch and stuff like that. So, yeah, we have these. Those are kind of the four main ones. We also have Partey's long throws, which we started a couple of seasons ago, tried to do it more last season. They're usually crap, to be honest. They don't really do anything. Do you think there's a reason why they're crap in terms of... Um, I think a lot of it is because they, they go a little bit too high on the start maybe so they dip right towards the end so they don't really carry the pace for a, a header to do anything with okay. maybe we go a little bit too far in that regard and we probably need to come a bit shorter to give them a bit more help but we don't I, I can't remember us kind of creating anything from them um there was maybe one kind of half chance we had at united at home but yeah i think that is partially as well because a lot especially last season we had I don't think we had a player above six foot in the front six. So, it, yeah, whereas now we have Rice, Havertz, at least, who could probably get a knockdown. Probably Tommy Asu will probably swing himself up there half the time now as well. Um, I think that would probably change things. But, yeah, last season it felt like we are probably just a little bit too too small i guess um to to make actual use of it but it'd be interesting to see if that changes when if class a comes back this season the other thing the other thing um i've kind of noticed is that generally the passes do kind of are aimed at getting back to the center backs who, who kind of pull wide to receive particularly on the left with gabriel but i think also a lot of the time with saliba you've usually got white kind of re-receiving from whoever he's passed to under tight space and then immediately looking to get it into Saliba. Do you think that that is something that we do differently to other teams or do you, how do you see it fitting into what we're trying to do? I guess it is probably, I would say, part of what helps us, a small part, but nevertheless something that contributes to us sort of being able to control territory in the way we have, particularly when you get these high throw-ins, kind of passing it back does seem like a wasted opportunity, but then you are suddenly consolidating territory somewhat if you've pulled off the routine rights kind of into the final third, even with your centre-backs in their half, in the opposition half. Do you think that that's something, is that something we do differently to other teams that you've noticed or? Um, I think it's, it's kind of by virtue of us having Saliba, who's really just like technically gifted as well. I don't, I don't know how many other teams would be comfortable, maybe probably just City in terms of giving a centre-back that sort of ability where it's just basically, if they miscontrol this, there's a very good chance we're getting counted out of our arse and we're going to be running everyone back. But I think it, it does, yeah, like you said, link back to that. We're talking about corners in term, and the short corners in terms of just like consolidating territory. And we've worked our way up and now we 
give the ball back to our centre-back as our furthest back player and he's probably only about 40, 45 yards away from goal. And that means that we can then reset in terms of our spacing. It means that we don't have to go into this like really crunched area in this far corner, especially if we don't have the, the ability to do that kind of the quirky Erdegaard loop. Um, and so this kind of, yeah, allows us to skip some disgusting mid-block and pressing tactics, makes the opposition really have to work to get us out of their space rather than um, us kind of just gifting them an opportunity um, with White kind of just like tamely giving it to a centre-back for them to clear. So, yeah, I think that's probably, again, by virtue of the specific players that we have. I don't know whether we'd be as confident doing it on the other side. In fact, I don't think we are as confident doing it on the other side as high up with Gabriel. Um, usually because we have Zinchenko taking the, uh, the throw, yeah. so we probably want to get Zinchenko in that area. But yeah, I think we do have such a confidence in Saliba to not shit the bed that we kind of give him the keys and say, "We're giving you this ball. You've got a lot. Of, you've got time and space. You've got a lot of passing opportunities. Let us just reset on this side. You set. You settle down." And I think that will probably be improved as well with um with Raya being really, really aggressive in terms of his starting positions and stuff like that in terms of possession. So I wonder if we'll probably see Raya coming a bit higher up, especially if we end up with um, with Kai as like a strong left eight. So maybe we start getting Kai up there, resetting to Saliba, Raya end up halfway line and we start using utilizing that that long passing that he's he's had. That's something that's on very that. German second division in terms of, of aggressiveness <laughs> of the goalkeeper. I did actually want to ask what you've thought of Kai, because to my eye, like there are lots of issues in terms of Kai receiving as a midfielder and stuff, but I think one thing everyone agrees on is, is his movement. And I think in many phases of the game, but also I I think he's quite a good re- receiver with those sort of small touches in like you know, he can kind of orient, at least he's growing in that regard, as I've seen at Arsenal. He looked really good in that regard at Leverkusen. Um, so I would imagine, and I've not paid enough attention, but that he can be quite an asset in terms of both of his movement, but then receiving, maybe trying to quickly find a layoff pass or or orient himself. Yeah, definitely. So his, his movement's really valuable because he's six foot four and he stands out like a lighthouse in terms of just like, oh, they're, they're probably going to put a throw in towards this big guy. Um, and so his movement in terms of um, dragging markers is really valuable. I think his his little touches is quite good. It's quite a good point, actually. I don't think I've paid too much attention to that, but he definitely does do it. I think my issue with Kai sometimes is that he can underhit them, and it does bring a little bit of undue pressure, but we do have two quite technically gifted fullbacks, so it's not too much of an issue. I, I wonder if that changes, say, if we have Tomiyasu, uh, right back and left back he's not he's not bad technically but he's not got the first touch that Jenko has nor does he have really the first touch that White has and so that the kind of under hitting them might make it a bit more kind of chaosy which works for Kai obviously because Jules <laughs> in terms of um, <laughs> controlling the game I think it's fairly suboptimal but yeah I, I'm a bit of a Kai apologist so I'm probably going to be a bit biased but um I don't. You know, on the left hand side, he doesn't really do much. It's more on the right hand side where he's coming over, which I, I think he. I think he's felt more comfortable on the right hand side anyway, personally. Anyway, so it kind of makes sense to me. Um, but yeah, I, a lot of the, this is kind of 
dependent on who we play because the the left back and right back a left back role especially has changed like three times a season yeah so it's fairly or difficult even to get a read with on timber it's in Chenko, okay, oh, yeah. of course yeah exactly yeah, yeah. The magical timber okay interesting i mean i think a lot of that makes sense in terms of just fitting in with the idea that like if you're looking at it from without looking at arsenal specifically that throw-ins aren't really like an advantage of the way that corners or even free kicks are it's it's a lot more of like a 50 50 thing where the opposition could just kind of mark you out and and win the ball back that kind of us using our pods to almost recycle the ball and consolidate territory would be would be a logical image. i'd be interested to see how other teams use it i can imagine liverpool being a lot more aggressive not that i've paid atten- enough attention to really notice but it's it's something that would make sense to me uh, yeah, li- Liverpool get a lot more throw-ins, which I think s- strikes me as that they're a bit more kind of uh, uh, gung-ho with them. Because there's, there's a lot more chance of a throw-in coming back off to a throw-in if you, you're willing to just kind of get the speed up and use it as a tempo thing. And I guess we are using it as a tempo thing in terms of slowing it down. Yeah, but yeah Liverpool get, uh, I think, like nearly 10 more a game than us. So it uh, makes sense. I think we're probably a bit more careful in terms of how we're using it. And that, from that perspective, it fits into like, if you're really looking at how different the teams are, I mean, it's, it's become a sort of accepted thing that Liverpool welcome that sort of variance and turnovers and stuff because it helps them create situations where they can score from in transition, right? And whereas Arsenal, we like to kind of slow the game down. We, we're scared of these sort of transitions. We want to control control those variables not scared but we we would prefer not to invite them and kind of control the game slow it down so that's an interesting sort of comparison that comes really down just to even even throw ins but yeah lastly and unfortunately the only defending one that i thought we'd be able to fit in today but i do want to touch on and that's defending corners which is something i think we've been good at at points in seasons and been bad at at points in seasons. I think I'm not even sure where I would stand on whether we're good or bad compared to other teams in the league. Um, but yeah, what, what have you thought of our corners? So this for me is our, like our biggest red flag this season in terms of out of possession. Um, obviously the in possession stuff is like central progression kind of stinks. We're not really creating, there's not much fluidity, but in terms of defending, we've been kind of pretty immaculate and then you get the corner situation and it's kind of derailed a little bit. And I'm I'm quite interested why, because I think a lot of it stems down to the changing keepers, which is really strange to me because Raya's a really good dominant keeper in terms of claims and in terms of just like establishing a presence in the box you can kind of you'll see a lot of players um reacting to him and like moving out of his way and giving him space and time to come and collect whereas Ramsdale um if you watch especially the goals the corners we conceded at the end of last year so I don't think we conceded the corner except B's goal really uh pre-world cup and then after the world cup we ended up conceding about like six seven eight like we look see the header to Lissandra Martinez. Like, <laughs> that's not that's not okay. Um, so, it's, so Ramsdale, yeah, he's a little bit more reactive, a little bit more chaotic in terms of how we establish the box, and so as a result, we have a lot more players close to him who will sit on him. You see it in the Liverpool game, the own goal from Kivior. It's, it's like it's a bad header from Kivior, but this is like it's symptomatic of a lot of problems that we have where teams will more likely do in-swingers when Ramsdale's in goal because if they do an in-swing and Raya's in goal, Raya's probably claiming it unless you do a delivery that's either really short or really long to completely remove him out of the game. 
because even if you stick a player or two on him, he's probably getting through it because he's actually really good at being able to command that. Um, whereas Ramsdale, you could probably sit, stick one player on him and it's freaking him out hard. So teams will be more in-swingers because they're more keen to get it near Ramsdale because he'll freak out a bit more, which isn't to like slag off Ramsdale. I love Ramsdale, but this is how he deals with the, the corners. He's a lot more reactive. Um, and so to accommodate for that, because they'll have more players near Ramsdale, we have to bring more players near Ramsdale as well. So if you look at the front end of our six-yard box with Ramsdale compared to Raya, part of it is because Raya encourages an outswinger. So for Raya, we'll have maybe two players within about eight yards of him. There'll be one standing on the front edge of the six-yard, one standing on the long edge of the six-yard, and the rest of it's completely clear. Even for opposition players, it'll just be Raya in there. Uh, for Ramsdale, there's probably about 75% of all of the players, uh, both defensive and offensive, within the six-yard box. And so you th- naturally, it would think to me that Ramsdale is therefore more uh, likely to ship corner goals because in-swingers will probably get it more into a dangerous area. Ramsdale's less good at claiming and stuff like that. But then... We have conceded, I think, uh, eight this season, or seven. We conceded two to Fulham, two to Luton in the same game. Um, with uh, Sevilla, we conceded one, um, and two to West Ham, we've now conceded as well. Um, and they're pretty much all outswingers because I think we haven't been able to adapt the way we defend to what Ryan needs well enough and it's really strange can you break that down a bit more defend in what way like who would be the the players that you would pick out as being important besides the goalkeeper in for Raya's corners um so for Ramsdale corners it's more just like we have a collective mass in there and a lot of it's kind of like a collective effort to be like we need to get this ball away from Ramsdale and this is why you end up with uh we've had two or three errors with Ramsdale having miscommunication with his defenders. So you had the Lissandro header, you had the Akibior own goal, you had the Ben White own goal in the Carabao as well early this year. And a lot of it's where we have so many defenders on the front post who don't know whether Ramsdale's coming out to claim it, that we, they kind of have to get ahead on it. And that's where you get the the um, the lapses, I guess. It's probably like the nicest way to put it. Whereas Raya, so we, have, we did have Kai on the front post for ages, right? Which makes sense because like a famous thing about when we signed him was that Kai was really good at winning the fr- the first headers. But where teams are doing outswingers and trying to keep it away from David Raya at all costs, it basically makes the front post redundant. So we've stopped doing that now. In the last few weeks, we've moved Jesus and Ketia to the front role because Jesus is a really good leap. Um, I think Ketia was there because we weren't using Jesus, but his use is a really good leap and he's got a couple of touches there i think he got one against west ham um but it then means that we have kai in the middle defending the big lads uh which makes more sense because we were shipping quite a few headers uh luton obviously had like that whole area set down um fulham's was against rice i think rice is a bit of an issue on these defending corners he's usually given a man to mark and Rice has this real tendency at the moment to just kind of like make it, oh, it's just me and him. I just have to win this duel. It's fine. 
and he kind of loses sight of the ball a little bit sometimes. This is interesting because I don't know if you ever listened to the Jack Alderton when we signed Rice, but he one of the problems he and I can't say I've noticed this with Rice in the box. Um, defending corners but he says one of the problems with rice is actually judging aerial balls like the flights of them sometimes they can go a bit over his head because he he doesn't really judge when to make the jump do you think that that's something that kind of then comes through obviously now he's also contending with a man but maybe it's that judgment of like being able to contend with the man watch the surroundings and actually then make that leap to to judge the flights yeah i think that's definitely a problem i think uh the fulham one was quite bad for that because he, I think he's in a dual Palinia. And Palinia doesn't scream to me like an aerial monster. But Rice becomes so fixated on winning this kind of 1v1 is that he looks at the ball once and then goes, all right, Palinia, here we go. We're having this. And then Palinia <laughs> kind of skins him, but does the kind of little like shimmy left and right. And then Rice looks back at the ball and the ball's coming a lot shorter than it looked like. And so Rice ends up having to get the block on Palinia, which leads to like the mess of whatever happened for that Fulham goal. But yeah, so and then there was against uh Liverpool, he ends up like bear hugging Canate and just ignores the ball. So maybe it's because he can't judge the flight very well that he's just not paying attention to it. And so he's just going, Right, I'm just gonna make sure that my guy doesn't get the header. Yeah. Which can work. Like Canate didn't do anything against us, which was good. But it can also backfire really badly in the sense that if he loses his one v one, all of a sudden we've got someone who's like manically out of position losing their header and it's probably one of our best jumpers in in the squad in rice so it's yeah rice really and not annoys me because i don't want to say rice annoys me so i'm I'm very thankful that we have him obviously (laughs) but um yeah that's that's a really strange one um kai's uh was marking van dyke which i think is a really good sign for how much Arteta and Yoma trust him and his ability to do anything but there was an issue again against Liverpool where where we moved him centrally because we only have Gabriel on the six yard line he has to come out and like be the the only one with momentum who's attacking the ball on the outswingers because everyone else is like either underneath it or is like following it along because they're dead still. Whereas Gabriel is like rushing out to head this ball, usually at the penalty spot. But that means that we have someone who's sitting on the front six yard line. And it means there's a, there's a bunch, there's like 10 yards of space behind our heading line, which all forms quite a nice line to be fair, but there's a load of space that someone can just wander through. And so Van Dyke had a really good movement, like a counter movement to Gabriel against Liverpool. Nunez ends up blazing their header over by about 10 yards because of course he does. But it worries me that we're, we're leaving ourselves quite open to these, these counter movements. There's one against West Ham as well where there's a first header and the defenders uh, moved out, but there was obviously the lag at the front post because of how we structure it. Um, and then so someone snuck around the back post and it, all it takes is a team to just get that header right and we're giving Raya a, a fairly gross one-on-one um with momentum against him in all the worst ways and so i i i don't think we've quite clicked how we're meant to cover the box with these outswingers because we really haven't faced them before this season do you have any ideas of solutions or or something that we could do to improve on those um i kind of i don't particularly love the front post stander 
because it, it ends up with that diagonal line that we get. And because everyone is so scared of Raya anyway, the because of and rise it like obviously it was quite famously against Madrid, right? He stands on that front post and that's his area. He does it less so for corners. But teams will not bother going along that uh, floor unless they like really mess up the corner. And so like maybe moving them up a little bit kind of stops that risk of a secondary one. And we probably need to just put Gabriel back on dual duty. Um, and leave Kai as a bit more of a, like a floating header because Gabriel's fantastic at set pieces and fantastic at and aerials winning, and fantastic yeah. at... Yeah, exactly. He's just a bully. So, whereas Kai, it's very easy for Kai to like, against Liverpool in that one where he missed Van Dijk, he can just switch off, which is like fine because he's a, he's an attacker. He's like a round doise. It's not really his thing. Well, you know, so he, be like, <laughs> we are playing him as a midfielder and I think this is one of the, the draws. Yeah, of true, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Um, so that I I personally would get Gabriel off this like sitting role and get him like it in the mix because I think in both ends I think we're really misusing him. And it this what this way is gonna hurt us a lot more, especially if we can't score all of a sudden, which is a fun problem. Um if we're giving up goals which we, we shouldn't really because we have like the most proactive goalkeeper in the league, we have like some of the best headers in the league, we have a really, really tall squad, uh, we're giving them like less optimum corners in terms of outswingers realistically, um, in terms of the areas they get into. I don't think we should be shipping quite as much as we should. Admittedly, we're only conceding against really good corner sides. Like the best few are, I think there was a post by Mark Lamberts, I think on Twitter, talking about corner deliveries and the quality of like deliverers. And we've conceded to basically the best three in the league. James Will Prowse, Alfie Dotti, and uh, Andreas Pereira. Okay. And then one against Sevilla, but Sergio Ramos, so. So yeah, one of the best corner threats. Okay, that's interesting. Wow. One thing I wanted to ask is where's I kind of lost it in the visualization for me is where's Saliba generally in all of these? Is he the guy doing the stuff that Gabriel you want Gabriel to be doing? Um, so yeah, Saliba's a weird one because again, like when I talked about earlier about our attacking corners, I don't particularly rate him as like a crashing header. So I, you kind of want him to be just like a standing vertical, which is probably why I'd want him a bit closer in because he. Uh, against West Ham, I think it was, he was like the back end of the six-yard line. So we, on that one, we had like two along the six-yard line, the long side of it. And it, Gabriel was like more towards the middle and then Saliba was towards like the back post. And Saliba is usually tasked with dealing with one of the runners that comes in, um, which makes sense because Saliba is, is then just given like a vertical. But he also, because we're doing outswingers, it means he does have to go towards and probably try and collect it unless they're like diving it straight towards them. So I'm not sure in terms of the value that we're getting out of Saliba there, because he then he's probably so against West Ham. He was like 10 yards off where the, the corner ended up going. Um, and then in for the, the goal we conceded, it was an inswinger weirdly, but they went, they went essentially on an outswinger path because they ended up on a penalty spot and we had Saliba way too close to goal. So he, again, he has to like rush out and try and deal with these threats. And so, yeah, I, I, I'd be more keen to get more players in the mix and have less of a, the zonal presence that we do just because 
we don't at the moment have a lot of great runners. So maybe we put Rice as that kind of like shield on the six yard line because he's got that power to run out. And he's like, he's not really reading the flights anyway. He's kind of, he's probably going to give away a penalty soon. Like maybe we get, we cut him from that dueling squad, that front liners. We put him back a bit. We give Saliba and uh, Kai and Gabrielle the roles in the middle. Then we've got the big vertical jumpers all in the middle for where the corner's likely going to be. And that should help things out, hopefully. But um, I don't know, it's, it's interesting because obviously corners are a bit kind of like cat and mouse. So whether that whether that changes and we get more more kind of like in-swingers, like crashing and stuff like that, and we get um, or more... Uh, just more interesting, weird tactics that we have to then think about again. But yeah, I, I, something's not quite right at the moment, and it's it's going to give us a lot of problems. I think next few weeks. No, that's very interesting. And yeah, like you say, I think these things are catamounts. They do change. We're speaking about the attacking corners and how like we've had to change them up season from season from season. So, so yeah, I I, I definitely appreciate that point. But I, I do think that that makes a lot of sense in terms of at least how I far less set piece trained i think about the the qualities of the the players that we have okay i think with that we've covered the four different sort of scenarios set piece scenarios that we wanted to address and obviously there's so many there's kickoffs are set pieces and i mean goal kicks are set pieces but i think these were the ones i really wanted to address i do want to address one more thing and i think this again kind of brings it back to the game model sort of discussion and especially i think it's an apt time to do so now that we're in transfer window season and people are thinking about the sort of players that we need to bring in and there's been a lot of discussion about different profiles that I think do become big parts of any sort of set piece considerations so with looking at sort of our recruitment and squad building how much do you think before we even get into profiles that I kind of want to discuss how much do you think that this really does come into sort of Arteta and and his team sort of thinking on, on the players that they like to target I mean we spoke about Kai Havertz being a a huge one that was like sort of his benefits. I mean, there was the athletic articles and everything about his like sort of set piece benefits with coming in. Right. And I think obviously goalkeeper is a pretty uncontroversial one to kind of bring into the equation, but how much do you think it kind of comes in even over and above the sort of in possession considerations at times? Yeah, I think within the last couple of transfer windows, I think it's really started kind of playing on our minds a bit. Uh, I think like the first few are probably just like raising the technical uh, floor of the team. Yeah. And whereas now, now we have that base, I think we're kind of noticing that um, the duels and stuff like that are <laughs> particularly where we really want to kind of um, get the edge if we're not going to have the spending powers that like City do. Um, so I think, yeah, recently it seems to be quite a consideration. I think like Kibior is meant to kind of possess a bit of a threat he's at least got like a decent throw in and stuff like that and defensively he's probably uh but he's not i'm not particularly sold on him in the air when i've watched him i think he jumps quite weird seems to jump like with the momentum of his head going backwards a bit but that's my personal thing um i think you've got uh kai obviously rice i think there was um a tifo pod about what we were considering when we were signing rice and like set pieces was like a massive thing about it because he has that the ability to run and jump and battle which is like perfect for a set piece i should say actually he's also he could be potentially the guy who delivers from the right sort of half space yeah no i'd like that actually i think that'd be quite good but then equally i think rice is a really good 
a threat in terms of the box in terms because he's quite good at like moving himself off a player he's surprisingly spry for someone with that long a, a stance and stuff like that so i think maybe it's a bit of a loss but maybe it's either that or we just start doing Saka in swingers from there but there, i also quite like the idea of martinelli doing it because i think martinelli's got a fairly good cross on him that we don't really see but um i don't know Arteta will just put Trossard on it because he loves Trossard and set pieces for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it. I think it's definitely like a fairly core part of how we're treating our recruitment now. In terms of, um, it is that domination thing again? Yeah, it's making sure that we have we have the ability to control the game, but how how do we dominate the game? We don't give them the set pieces as well. It's definitely something that that stands out to me because I think a lot of the sort of focus has been on like out of possession considerations for like the sorts of profiles that we've been looking at. And, and obviously Kai Havertz came into that whole discussion. Rice obviously was a huge part of that discussion because he is ridiculously good. Best midfielder in the league out of possession, I would probably say. Um, I think that's pretty un- uncontroversial, but it's interesting to kind of think of how much like the set piece discussion comes in. Cause even sort of like, I don't know, if you look at maybe like a smaller sorts of players who can still be pretty good in their pressing, I think Uruguay is one of those, maybe not necessarily as a ball winner, but certainly directing, covering space, knowing where he needs to be. Jorginho's another right. Like them not necessarily being the targets that we've sort of targeted. Someone like Onana has been a big target we've been linked to. And it, from from not only an out of possession, but also just a, a set piece thing, he makes a lot of sense. And I think one of the discussions that's kind of come up is a lot of discussion about like the future nine that we should be getting. And do you think with those sort of set piece considerations in how, how would you see a, like who we should be bringing in? Um, it, it's going to sound gross because I don't like it either, but Tony would be just like a cheat code for us to be honest, um, because he has the ability to win in the center. He has the ability to win well on the front post. He has that kind of like that cane ability to peel off at the back post um and like tap in those like we saw uh, jesus do jesus isn't particularly kind of renowned for that i think martinelli has shown he can do that i think that's one against fulham that he did really well on but um tony kind of has it a bit more instinctually and um it would also let us do kind of that that thing i was talking about earlier with like raya getting really aggressive and just like punting it long so then we have tony up there doing like that re-establishing that brentford relationship which would be really nice um and i think it kind of he, he definitely ticks a lot of boxes in terms of like establishing constant threat, whatever we're doing. But equally, I don't like it. So I'd quite like Oshiman, who's also just incredible in the air and possesses just a bit more of a kind of, um, I don't know, dynamic threat, I guess, in terms of just how relentless he is. I think a lot of strikers have movements inside the box that they're generally favourable to, that they're sort of go-tos. And I think that probably does um, apply or translate across to set-piece stuff. And I, one of the things I like about Osterman is you can he can be a threat far post, he can be a threat near post with his runs, he can be a threat centrally or near post with his jumps or far post with his jumps. He's got a crazy leap. Uh, he's someone that I think we could add a lot in terms of what we do. I mean, if you think we kind of go for those near post flick-ons, imagine how just threatening he would be in those situations where that ball kind of goes anyway, because a lot of strikers will be more suited to sort of, okay, it's close, I'll get that header early, or I'll, as Jesus likes to kind of run around the back, hold the back and, and get the header there. I think Osemen's someone who can 
just be a his strength just and his ability to deal bodies in the box is something that Gabriel Jesus is not that great at, despite being quite physically strong, I would say. Osimhen can kind of beat him. So he's sort of someone that I think makes sense. Obviously, I like him for in-possession reasons as well, but but definitely from that out-of-possession aspect. Do you think he's someone who could kind of vary the way we attack the box? Yeah, definitely. I think it, I talked earlier about Partey's long throws, right, and I'm struggling with them. I do think having someone who's like a willing runner, who's just willing to just go and just like cause chaos and kind of let Kai drift a bit more. I think that relationship could be really good with just like, we could just punt the ball a bit more into Oshaman and go, just cause some problems, please. Just do that. <laughs> and then Kai doesn't quite have to do that role, which isn't quite his game. I think he's like, he's not bad at it at all. He's obviously quite good in jewels and stuff like that, but allowing him to peel off and use the space a bit more, be really interesting. Um, and I, yeah, I think well, at the moment we're kind of in a position where on our corners we're kind of stuck with like a few bodies left over that we're not really sure what to do with. Um, it's like our wingers just kind of just sit on the edge, don't really do much. Ben White, we're just kind of just like dealing with. We're just like, uh, I don't know, stands on a goalkeeper maybe. He doesn't really <laughs> do much most games. Um, so at having someone like Oshiman allows us to fill a hole in the box that we don't really know what to do with and kind of let us establish a bit better presence outside the box, which would be really interesting. I think Um, just in terms of all the set pieces, I think Oshiman gives us a massive upside, whether we're willing to part with 103 million for that. I'm not sure or whether we're going to be able to, but it, it does, you know, quite excite me from that perspective in terms of just like just that constant threat of like no matter what a defense does you've got a problem with Oshiman. he's an interesting one i actually want to move away from discussing him because i think at least for me he's sort of someone i want regardless but i wonder i wonder how much tony who you brought up see i see a lot of benefits of tony in possession as well but i'm also kind of thinking of that like direct ball in possession stuff which is kind of linked to to be honest, set pieces if we're talking goal kicks. But I'm, I'm I'm interested in terms of how much this is now factoring into our recruitment, like the consideration of what these sorts of players can do, particularly in this case, the nine from set piece scenarios or, or even, you know, Amadou Anana over above whoever else as that sort of midfield option because obviously he's also a very good goal threat. We're speaking about Everton's deliveries. I think I've seen once or twice already where... McNeil goes into far post and then Amadou Anana gets it in the in the nearby corner of the net, right? I'm I'm wondering how much do you think that and obviously you're not privy to the inf- like the recruitment information, everything, but just in terms of the trends going, because I think with that insight in terms of the benefits that we're getting, right? How much we think targeting someone like Tony really has to do with what he does at set piece from set piece situations over and above other players who may be better, slightly better in possession or or against the ball defensively. Hmm. I think yeah. I think it's is interesting. So I think we do kind of have a bit of space for a passenger out of possession. So I do, I, I do think that we're probably giving a bit more weighting to these these dead ball situations that we seem to generate just for fun. And we've kind of becoming quite famous for dominating. And it's a fairly consistent baseline. So even when, like, despite this, this part of this barren run that we've going through is partially because we've really sucked at set pieces during them. 
which is really weird for us. And so having an established goal from a set piece, basically every game or two, of being like, it's fine, like we can run a bit cold in front of goal because we've got Tony up there and Gabrielle, who are just like immense ball winners in the air and just immense problem causes for defenders, is probably a real consideration for us, especially now that we've, um, yeah, we've not really got that outlet and so and we seem to be lacking it and i think you can kind of see that from like how fulham seemed a lot more keen to let us kind of win corners win set pieces and shoot the ball into the box when we took Havertz off because all of a sudden we're left with a bunch of like five niners on the pitch rather than our main aerial threat who's like pretty good corner threat pretty good set piece threat and gives us a lot of like interesting possibilities from that. And all of a sudden Fulham are like, yeah, okay, you, yeah, feel free. This is not, this isn't the issue it was five minutes ago because you now don't have that, that presence that someone like a big nine does who'd like our primary nine as well. I think uh, that will probably be like a staple of how we move forward. I, I think if it's not Tony, it will probably be someone else who will provide that. I mean, I think it's been clear for, for for a while, at least to me, that that Arteta is looking for a big focal point night, and this precedes bringing in Gabriel Jesus. I think that was very much, in, in one sense, just a fantastic player available at a good price. So I do wonder how much of that has always been. I mean, I see it a lot as having that sort of guy to pivot play around once you're getting in the final third, being that sort of target man who can also do other things. Right? I mean, we've seen links to Calvert Lewin, Vlahovic. Who else has there been? There's been a number of them, right? Tammy, maybe a little bit less so less of a, I would say, a focal point, but but still a big man in the middle. It, it does interest me how much I've always kind of thought of that from an in possession point of view, but how much of that is is a is just set piece benefits, right? And I think one of the the truths about set pieces is that the big guys are normally the preferable ones to to bring in. But yeah, I think I think with all of that, and the part has gone on very long from me asking lots and lots and lots of questions, which I could ask so many more. Um, I really want to thank you, Jake, for coming on. I've, I've learned a lot in this in this episode, so it's been fantastic. Oh, thanks so much for having me on and just let me ramble about corners to you. Um, my friends will be very glad that someone else is doing it. <laughs> and if you want to find Jake's articles, because I think here he's given a broad sort of coverage. It's far more detailed and visual analysis um, please check out Jake's medium. I think it's Jake W Fox 98. Yes, that's it, yeah. And then Jake, we can find you on Twitter at Jake W Fox. And we'll put all of that information in the description. Um, and on that note, of course, please do like and subscribe to us on Pop on Spotify or whichever platform you listen to us on. If you've enjoyed the content, we really do appreciate the support. And thank you as always to James Blake for um, providing us with our intro and outro music. You can find him on Spotify as well. And with that, this is my last time I'll be on the pod for a little while. So thank you for listening and pushing through a long set piece pod. I hope you found it very valuable. Goodbye. <laughs>